0: Welcome to the Christ Church Conway Podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 38 through 41. Mark 9, verses 38 through 41. Let's give our attention once again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. Most gracious Father. As we come once again to your word. I ask that you would strengthen us, that you would illumine our hearts and minds by your spirit that we might hear and understand. That you would give me words in my mouth to speak boldly the gospel as I ought to speak. That I may speak in the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as we come to this passage, we're, we're still in this conversation that Jesus and his disciples were having with each other. That, that goes back to Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection, saying, hey, this is what's going to happen, this is what's to come. And then we saw last week on the hills of that, there was this argument about who was the greatest, right? It's a common argument. It's an argument that we've all had with people at some point or another. But the context of of this particular argument uh, just kind of adds to the irony. After that discussion, we get to to our passage. And John speaks up. And and he announces, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to to stop him because he was not following us. Now, we need to think just a second as we we get into this passage about the context that I've just run through. First of all, remember, the the last thing that Jesus said in Mark's gospel as he tells us this story is this. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So Jesus just told them that if you receive those who offer you nothing, if you receive those who add nothing to your glory, that's like receiving me. But John immediately says, well, we're going to receive no one. Here's this guy, not a child that brings no glory or or no help to the ministry, but someone who is successfully casting out demons from people in the name of Christ. And John's response is, and apparently the disciples' response is, "Um, yeah, you need to stop doing that because you're not with us. If we go back one more more step, we we remember that that Jesus' word about receiving this child had to do with their argument about who is the greatest. They'd been having this kind of interpersonal argument about which of them was the greatest, and now it seems that this same lesson needs to be learned, not amongst themselves, but in how they think about themselves among other ministers. You're not with us? You don't get to do any ministry. Only we get to do the ministry. We're the disciples. We're the apostles. But the irony gets even thicker if we go back another layer of context because remember what happened while they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and James and John are up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and what could the rest of the disciples not do? They couldn't cast down a demon. So now when they come across this guy who's not with them but is who, who is able to do what they couldn't, they're like you need to stop. Maybe it's because he was making them look bad. I don't know. Maybe it's because they just had this, this as they've proven they do, this, this self-exalted view, but their response is, you need to stop. And so they try to stop him. This man who's, who's freeing people from this spiritual bondage in the name of Jesus, they try to stop him. And it's, it's important that, that as we look at this, that we kind of follow the pronouns through. For, for those of y'all who it's been a minute, pronouns are, are words like we and you and us that replace nouns, right? So if we, if we follow the pronouns through, through what they say, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. So they're distinguishing between themselves and Jesus, which is a good thing, right? We, we need to, to make that distinction. We're not the Messiah, And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, the us could be them and Jesus, right? It could be, but it doesn't seem that way. It seems like what's going on here is the disciples have this exclusivist view of ministry built on an exalted view of themselves that if you're not following us, you don't get to do anything you need to stop. You need to stop and and, and just let sink in what they were telling this guy to stop doing. You need to stop freeing people from their spiritual bondage in the name of Christ because you're not with us. From a ministry standpoint, this is kind of the height of arrogance. You're not with us. You better shut your mouth. You certainly better not be doing things that we can't even do. That's ridiculous. The problem with this is, there's a number of problems, but, but one of the problems with this is, when, when we take this uh, approach to ministry, one of the problems is that it undermines the Catholicity of the church. It, it undermines that, that, that the church, all of us, are one body of Christ. We love to forget that. We, we love to forget that there are other people outside of our tiny little circles that really do, in fact, belong to Jesus and really are, in fact, doing amazing things in the name of Christ for the good of the people of God and for the good of the kingdom. There really are. The disciples miss that entirely. That They seem to think that the kingdom doesn't reside with Christ, but with them and their ministry. And that's a subtle but very, very important difference. The kingdom of God does not reside with with Christ church and its ministry or the PCA and its ministry or, or even the Reformed church and its ministry or, if we can be real controversial, the Protestant church and its ministry. The kingdom of God resides with Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he has done. And the disciples miss this. The the other effect of this or or the other problem with what they're doing is it undermines the unity of the body of Christ. Just as much as it misses that, that, that Jesus has his people all over the place, it undermines that we actually are one body, united in Jesus Christ by faith. That all who claim the name of Christ, all who are found in Jesus by faith, you and I stand with them as one body. All of us. All of us. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that that, that the kingdom of God, the work of ministry, the the, the Savior to whom we look is much bigger than just us. Much, much bigger than just us. Now, we've got to be careful here, though. The issue that they were dealing with, that, that Jesus tells them to stop dealing with, we'll get to that in a second. The issue that they were dealing with wasn't an issue of heresy. Okay, so, so we're not saying that, that, there, that there's no proper place to make theological distinctions and to draw theological lines so that we can say, um, no, if you don't believe this, you're not part of us. The Athanasian Creed, one of the, the great Trinitarian creeds of the church, begins with, with, with and I'm not going to get them exactly right, but, but something along the lines of, as it lays out the doctrine of the Trinity, all those who do not profess this faith cannot rightly be considered part of the church Catholic. And it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. It's talking about the universal church. Why? Because who God is matters, right? There there are theological distinctives. There are basic things that define what Christianity is. There is, in Jude's word, a faith once for all passed down to the saints for which we are to contend. So so we're not arguing here for some nebulous, you know, amorphous definition of Christianity. Not at all. What was in view here wasn't an issue of heresy. We, We see other places in the Bible. I mean, you look at Paul in the book of Galatians and he is entirely just riled because people are getting the gospel wrong to the point that he looks at Peter and says, you stand condemned, you've cut yourself off from Christ. Because he was jockeying with the gospel. That's that's where we start drawing lines. When we start redefining who God is, when we start redefining the the Trinity as it's presented in Scripture, when we start redefining the gospel of Jesus Christ, then, sure, let's start drawing lines. Absolutely. And we see even Christ does that. But the issue at play here wasn't heresy. Heresy it was someone else outside of our group dared to minister in the name of Jesus. And they were doing it effectively. Now, we don't know if the disciples were worried that somebody might be confused about who to follow. We we, we don't know know what their motivation was. But we do know Jesus' response. Don't do that. And we've got to see that this is not just an issue with the disciples. It's just not. We stand ready, and and increasingly so it seems, we stand ready to cut ourselves off from anyone who doesn't do it exactly like we do, or who doesn't think exactly like we do. Not on primary issues. Not on the issues of the gospel. Not on the issues of the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not on the issue of justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Cut them off if they stand somewhere different. On those issues. But on all the adiaphora, all the extra, all the the tertiary issues, we're so ready to and quick to break fellowship, to walk away. And here's the thing. We know we know we shouldn't do it, and so we're crafty about it. We know that, that the reason to break off is because the gospel has been come for us, because God himself is being redefined. We know that. We know that, that all this other stuff, isn't the reason to shut someone down. And so we're crafty. And we say, this is a gospel issue. You've added X to the gospel, or you've compromised the gospel in this way. We're crafty about it. When we find ourselves thinking that, we need to stop and and think real clearly in prayer with the help of the Spirit, is this actually what's going on? Are they compromising the gospel in such a way that it's time to walk? Have they added works to the gospel? Have they taken Jesus out of the gospel? Have they redefined the Trinity and come up with some new expression of who? Is that what is happening? Or do they have a different view of something further down the line than I do? We need to stop and think very clearly about that. And if it's the latter, we're the ones who need to be brought up short. Not the person we're mad at. Now I get it. There's a place for us looking at some of these secondary and tertiary issues and picking the church that we go to because of that. I couldn't, I couldn't, because I believe in, in the covenants and covenant baptism and, and all of that, were I not to be a minister, I would have a very hard time not going somewhere uh, or going somewhere that, that, that took a different view of those things and that didn't see children as part of what's happening here. But I'm not going to cut them off. I'm not going to act as if they're not part of the body of Christ. Not at all. Not at all. So we've got to be careful. Here, the disciples are not looking at a compromise of the gospel. They're not looking at some redefinition of who God is. That They're not looking at any heresy at all, actually. They're looking at someone able to do what they couldn't. Have you ever noticed in the blogs, in, in, in all the, the theological circulations, Our favorite people to critique are people with big churches. People that are doing something that we've been unable to do. We will sell Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung and all, we will sell them down the river and we'll start the engine on the boat to get them going. How often is the issue they're doing something that we've been unable to do. Their church is bigger, they're more effective, whatever it is. And we will scour their ministry with the finest of fine-tooth combs to find some reason to assuage our guilt or our insecurity or our whatever and to bolster our pride. Say, oh, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to make that compromise, of course your church is going to be big. And we don't just do it with, well, we do it with everyone. We'll do it in our own town. <laughs> we'll look at new life. We'll look at, at whoever. Say, so, oh, well, yeah. If you're going to make that compromise, of course your church is going to be big. We'll drive by Central Baptist. And we'll go, well, Yeah. If you build a theme park on the end of your church, of course your church is going to be big. You should have the kids in church. That's our pride. That's our arrogance. That's our sin. And maybe I'm speaking too much for myself at this point, but I don't think so. I don't think so. He was, he was freeing people from spiritual bondage in the name of Jesus Christ. And they wanted him to stop. How dare they? How dare we? And so what's Jesus' response to this? Don't stop him. The ESV doesn't use contractions. I feel like Jesus would have. Don't Stop him. And then he gives three reasons why. But but we need need to dwell on that first. Jesus' response wasn't, oh man, that was close. We almost had a, a rogue exorcist working in my name, freeing people from spiritual bondage, and there's very little I can think that would be worse for the kingdom of God. No. Very simple, very direct, very clear. Don't stop them. Disciples, you're wrong. Rem- I mean, it's as if he's saying, do, do you remember what I just said about receiving? No, you don't. Okay. Do you remember what I just said about arguing? No, you don't. Do you remember what I just said about y'all not being able to catch? No, clearly you don't. I'm just going to make it simple. Stop doing that. He becomes Bob Newhart in the counseling room for a second. Stop it. Just stop it. How often do we need to hear that when we're operating in our arrogance, thinking we're the only ones that have it figured out? How often do we need to hear Jesus say, Stop it and repent? He does give them reasons. He gives them three reasons that are all set off by this word four. First, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. In other words, guys, he is not a threat to the mission. He is not a threat to the kingdom. He is not a threat to me. And that's all you should be worried about. If he's doing mighty works in my name, the next thing that comes out of his mouth is not going to be evil words against me. It doesn't work that way. If he's doing these mighty works in my name, there's a reason. And he's not going to be speaking evil of me with his next breath. This guy is not the threat to the kingdom. This guy is not the threat to the mission. And Jesus could have said, now Peter, you're going to deny me. And you're going to have to be restored. Now, now Thomas, you're going to doubt everything I said because I went and did something like I said I was going to do and die. And he could have gone down the list with them probably. But he says, this guy is not a threat to what's going on here. He's not a threat to the kingdom. He's not going to speak evil of me. We need to hear that. Because isn't one of the reasons that we commonly use for for sitting in judgment on ministries and sitting in judgment on on Christians and and sitting in judgment on on anyone that's not in in our tiny little tribe. They're a threat to the kingdom. We get worried that people are going to think something is okay that's not okay. As if we know what's okay to begin with. As if we've got it all figured out. Now we have to ask some questions here. Because there is this this small issue in in Matthew 7, 22, where where people come and, and they say, didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Is there a contradiction that Jesus is setting up here? No, there's not. In Matthew 7, he's talking about people coming to him, relying on their works, relying on their performance to be justified before him. And he's saying that's not how this works. That's not what's happening here. Secondly, Jesus doesn't say, and this is where we've got to be real particular about the text. Jesus doesn't say, no one who does a mighty work in my name could possibly not be with me. That's not what he says here. Okay? Now, I, I think this dude probably was with Jesus, just if you want my opinion, that doesn't count for much. But we've got to let Jesus say what he's saying here. Jesus recognizes that there may be people doing mighty works in his name that aren't with him, but he recognizes that even those people aren't actually a threat. To him. It's reminiscent of what Paul writes to the Philippians. Oh, yeah, there are some that preach the gospel to make my chains worse. Let them preach. Why? Because they weren't actually a threat to Paul. And Paul's take is jokes on them, the gospel can go out with power even from the lips of those who preach from ill motivation. Let them preach people are going to get saved. People are going to be brought to faith through their preaching to make my situation worse. They're not a threat to the mission. They're not a threat to the kingdom. They're not a threat to our Savior. Jesus gets that. The second reason he gives is for lost my place sorry for the one who is not against us is for us so so there's the second reason the one who is not against us is for us are are they are they trying to stop you disciples well no are are they running you down and and saying that people shouldn't listen to you about what you're saying Uh huh Are they they like making fun of you because you couldn't cast out the demons? No. So they're not against you in any way. No. Well, then guess what? They're on our side. They're for us. Sure, them doing something you can't do may be against your pride, but that's probably a good thing. They're not against me. And here, again, we have to follow the pronouns. Here, it's Jesus speaking, and the us most certainly does include him. That's how pronouns work. They're not against me and my kingdom. Therefore, they're for me and my kingdom. So don't shut down. Don't shut down the work of my kingdom. Don't even try to. Now, again, we've got to ask a question because if we, if we go back to Matthew chapter 12, we, we read something that, that sounds a little bit different in verse 30. Jesus says there, whoever is not with me is against me. Okay, well, how do we put those two things together? Whoever is not for us is with us. Whoever is not with us is against us. Is Jesus contradicting himself here? Well, no. He's playing both sides of the same coin in different contexts. In chapter 12 of Matthew, as, as Matthew records the words of our Savior, he, he's, again, the same context of dealing with a demon, demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and was brought to him and he healed him. But people said, oh, he heals by the power of Beelzebub. He heals by the power of the devil. That's how he's able to do this. And this is where Jesus you know, talks about every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. All, and, and Jesus goes into all that. And in that context, he says, no, that's just not how this works. That's not how this works at all. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Jesus is using his ministry, what he is doing, healing the blind, making the mute to speak, making the lame to walk, casting out demons. He is using that to say, look, there's one of two ways this is happening. And and he's saying this to his critics. There's one of two ways this is happening. And you better be real clear about which way you think it is. Because if you think that I am doing this by the power of Satan, then you are not with me. But I'm telling you that I am here in the name of the one true God. So you better think real clear about your answer. You better think real clear about your answer. Because if you're not with me, you're against me. And you're going to find yourself on the end of the power who is able to cast out demons, who is able to give life, and who is able to bring judgment. With his detractors, he spoke that way but here with his disciples as he's trying to teach them that his kingdom is bigger than them, that the mission and the ministry of Christ is bigger than them. He goes the other way. If they're not against you, they're for you. Is that how we think about other believers from other traditions? Is, Is that how we think about other believers from our own tradition that may take different courses on different issues? Or are we those people that John Frame described as Machen's warrior children who are constantly looking for something to fight over? As if we've got to be against someone. The whole, you gotta stand for something or you're a fall for anything, that ridiculous little quip. If they're not against us, they're for us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if, if churches, if we collectively, and this would be a mighty work of the Spirit to be sure, and I'm not saying that to act that he can't do this, but if we collectively got over ourselves, and God over building our kingdoms, and God over working for our glory, and God over arguing about who is the greatest, and God over all of the the ways we, we market ourselves to say that we're the greatest, and said, you know what? No, that church from that other tradition, they're not against us. They're for us. And we're for them. And we're for them. But when you do that, People yell, compromise. Tim Keller, I know I've mentioned him a few times already, but but he started a a, a church planting organization called City to City. And and he had the audacity to help people that weren't Presbyterians plant churches. He helped some Baptists. He's helped some Lutherans. He's helped some Anglicans and you would think, you would think that they were spending their money to build mosques by the way people reacted. And he was going, what are you, we we think we're that right? We think we've got it nailed that much? No. No, they're not against us. They're for us. Why? Because they're for our king, and we're for theirs. The third reason Jesus gives, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And here he turns to to what is perhaps the, the smallest... Least sacrificial, simplest, even a common courtesy act of faith of giving somebody a cup of water to drink when they're thirsty. Not, not anything big. Something that they, any of us would do. If they give you a cup of water because you to drink because you belong to me, they will not lose their reward. Do you hear the undertone of what he's saying? This guy's casting out demons. I'm going to reward people that just give drinks. He's doing so much more than that. Why are you trying to stop him? If all he was doing was giving water, I wouldn't want you to stop him. And he wouldn't lose his reward. Why? Because he recognizes that they're acting in faith. He recognizes... That they're acting out of, out of recognition that they belong to Jesus and are therefore part of the same body. He's leaning in to, to what he, he gets into in Matthew chapter 24, verses 31, where, where he separates the, the sheep and the goats by saying, you know, whenever you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That's the level of of union that we have with Christ. It's when we serve each other, when we give each other a cup of water, when when we care for each other, when we love one another, when we we build each other up and encourage one another and and use our gifts to, to count others more important than ourselves, what we're doing, yes, we're serving each other, but beyond that, we're serving Jesus. If I serve you, and you're united to Christ by faith. If I serve you, and you are the body of Christ, I serve Jesus. If you serve the body of Christ, you serve Jesus. And no one less than Jesus. If you refuse, and this is the hard side you're refusing to serve Jesus and no one less than Jesus. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So let's ask one more question in closing. Why do we do this? We know what the Bible says. There's, I, I doubt anyone in here or, or in most churches that think ripping the church apart like those characters on our kid's sheet that that's the right way forward. Why do we do this? Uh, Scott Davis, a minister friend of mine, uh, turned me on to a talk by a guy named Carl Truman that he gave at Westminster in California. And he was dealing with this issue. He was applying it to seminaries. But he made two points that that I thought were very, very helpful. One, he called the narcissism of minor differences. We get so wrapped up in these minor differences, in these minor details, that, that we think that's all that matters. And if you don't think the way I think about social justice, if you don't think the way I think about race, if you don't think the way I think about caring for the poor, if you don't think the way I think about worship music, if you don't think the way I think about worship decoration and what a sanctuary needs to look like, if you don't think the way I think about pews or, or any other inane thing that we get mad at each other about, then I'm not sure you know Jesus. the narcissism of minor differences. And he goes into, why do we do that? From a ministry level, the reason we do that is because we see stuff as a competition and we want to win. I want my church to be bigger than other churches in town. Do you notice... There's just a litany of problems with that. I switched pronouns just like the disciples did. This isn't my church. It's Jesus' church. And the goal of me functioning as the minister of Jesus' church here at Christ Church Conway isn't to get glory as some brilliant minister. It's to serve y'all. And so to serve Christ. We get focused on these issues and everything gets on of whack. The second thing he said, he says when your universe is small, in other words, when you get, when you get your, your world and, and your circle of Christianity defined to, to the nth degree, when your universe is small, your tiny local gods seem very powerful. When we get focused in where all we can see is our theological belly button. We feel like this thing that we've created is all-powerful and must be served. And we start playing God. If you don't do it this way, you're out the irony is as much as we like to gripe about cancel culture we invented it. We invented it. The disciples because this dude wasn't with them tried to cancel to put it in 21st century language. You need to stop. And Jesus says, no, disciples, you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the kingdom is built on the finished work of Jesus Christ and not on our small trifling ideas that we come up with. And we thank you for that because that means the kingdom is actually secure. That it will actually stand that there is actually hope and that we can't actually have confidence even in the face of suffering. Father, would you help us to remember that we serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ and not of ourselves? Would you help us to remember this in ministry? Would you help us to remember this in our personal lives? Would you help us to remember this in all that we do. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.